Amen. May the Lord speak to all of us today. This is going to be a little unusual service for us. Some of you are probably going to love it. <laughs> Dari's going to hate it. Make sure we go public with who said that. And some of you are going to go like, what? Well, it's different. I don't understand. The first thing that's going to be different about it is Ben's going to come up and he's going to take your picture. It's going to be a panoramic, so you have to be still. No, no, don't do that, because you'll be all distorted. So be perfectly still, so wait, wait, wait till they sit down. Joe, could you shut that uh, door? Thank you. And you're going to be one perfectly still, otherwise we're going to put this on Facebook and uh, try to show you as the oh, people who walk in, they're going to be distorted. Now, all you guys over there, run around and get on the other side. Oh, don't smile. Don't laugh. Your face will be distorted. Okay, you guys on that side are clear now. You're, you're good to go. Oh, now Martha's face is going to be distorted. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Ben. We're in Romans 12. Speeding our way through Romans 12. Verse 16. We're going to cover another whole verse today says this, be of the same mind toward one another. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Let me read it again. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Three times in this verse, Paul in, in the Greek, in the original, Paul uses a form of the word mind. Now, that doesn't come across in all of our English translations that way, but in the Greek it's very clear. He's talking about our thinking and particularly our thinking about others. Now, we can understand why he's focusing on mind. Remember, this section began in, in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12, where he speaks of renewing our minds, thinking different, thinking different from the world. Do not be conformed to the way this world thinks, but, but be transformed in the way you think. Don't think like you used to think before you were a Christian. Before the Spirit of God indwelled you and started this process of sanctification, don't think like you used to. Think differently. Think as someone in whom the Spirit of God is making us more like Christ. In other places, he says we have the mind of Christ. And Paul is kind of saying here, now act like it. You have the mind of Christ, now act like it. Think like it. And three times here, he wants to challenge us and exhort us to think in certain ways. And they all, all three of these phrases really are kind of getting at the same thing. Be of the same mind. That doesn't mean we have to think exactly the same thing. It's okay to have differences. It's okay if you don't like the way I'm approaching things today. That's all right. But he's talking about how we value one another. The, the phrase that kind of captures this for me is, how do we assign value to other people? How do we decide who are the people we're going to like 
Who are the people we're going to get behind? Who are the people that we're going to associate with? Who are the people are we going to say, that's my brother, that's my sister? What is it that causes us in our thinking about others to come to the conclusion that this person or this group deserves my endorsement, my friendship, my relationship? How do we decide those things? What do we base that on? Another way to put it is this. Who's on my team? Who's on your team? And I like to think of it that way because I played sports all when I was growing up, which gets further and further away every year. It seems like that's you know, half a life away that I played sports. But I played baseball growing up, played football growing up, even wrestled one year. That was a short-lived exercise. Uh, just the outfits, the out uniform. I just couldn't stand it. And wrestling around with another guy. Yeah, anyway. The, 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 the teams, what made a team was, at, at the very basic level, was the uniform. Right? Anybody who made the team, anybody who was chosen or recruited to the team, got to wear the uniform. Now, if you wore the uniform, guess what? You're on the team. It's as simple as that. I think what Paul's getting at here is he's, he's telling us to answer this question very carefully and answer it biblically. Who do I assign value to? Who do I call part of my group? And the, the answer is very simple. If they have the uniform, they're on the team. Now, I'm not really making this up. Uh, Paul says something almost like this in Galatians chapter 3. Here's the first verse we're going to look at and just borrow something from Galatians here. Chapter 3, verse 20-something. 20 26, thank you. Here's what Paul says to the church in Galatia. You are all, speaking to the church there, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So by putting your trust in the gospel, by believing that Jesus died and rose again, you are a son of God. You know that's true even of you women? You're sons of God. Because he's using sons of God here very specifically. You are the heirs of everything God promised to Abraham and to his seed. And what does it take to become an heir? What does it take to become a recipient of God's promises? You simply believe the gospel. You put your faith in Jesus Christ. And so all of us, men and women, are sons of God, heirs of God, recipients of his grace and his promises simply through faith. Next verse. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with him. You put on the uniform. How do you get on this team? You put on the uniform. How do you put on the uniform? You're baptized into Christ. You believe the gospel. Now, now let that sink in. Every person who believes the gospel is wearing the uniform. They're clothed in Christ. They're on the team. That means we should treat everybody else who's wearing the uniform as teammates. That's the point. That's what he means when he says, have the same mind as one another. It doesn't mean you have to agree on everything, but the way you think of other people, if they're wearing the uniform, they're on the team, and therefore you need to love them. You need to care for them. You need to assign a very high value to them. 
the various teams I was on uh, growing up, baseball in particular I think of, there was always a couple of kids that were just not really all that good. Never, not me, of course, but there were other kids. You know, we always had the one or two that they were, they sort of got on out of sympathy, you think, at, at times. They just didn't have, have what it takes, you would, you would think. But the way our, my coaches always coached us was, if they're on the team, you treat them like a teammate. What does that mean? You want the best for them. You want them to do the very best they can. You're going to encourage them. You're going to cheer them up when they don't do so well. And, and there's no distinction here. Yeah, not everybody can start. Not everybody can be the star on the team. But if you're wearing the uniform, if you're on the team, then you're one of us, and we're going to do this together. We stand or fall together. We win or we lose together. I remember one time, it was, a, it was one of those classic moments. It wasn't the championship game, but it was, it was a, two, a game or two before the championship game. And uh, I don't remember exact scenario. I think it was second and third, two outs, and the worst player on our team was up. And he couldn't run. He had, he had some, some issues with his legs, and he just couldn't run. Very, very slow. You know, younger, when we were younger, we'd always put him in the outfield, and then when people started being able to hit the ball in the outfield, that was a problem because they hit him out in his direction, and, you know, they'd stretch a single into a triple because he just couldn't get to the ball very fast, and he didn't get to play that much. But he's up, game's on the line, our trip toward the championship stands or falls with his at bat, and we were young enough then, we played in some uh, fields where they didn't have fences, and this is one of those fields. And he laid into one that may still be rolling. <laughs> and even Brian was able to run around the bases, and we won the game. Yeah, well, exactly. We all, you know, Brian's the hero. This was great. But you know what? There were other games when a similar scenario happened, and, and he struck out. Or when the star struck out. And everyone's sad, everyone's discouraged at one level, but nobody looked down at either of them, or me, because I was the one that struck out a few times, and made us feel like we were somehow not worthy of the team. We're in the uniform. If you have the uniform on, you're one of us. We stand or fall together. We're in this together. That's what Paul is talking about when he says, if you've been baptized into Christ Jesus, you've put on the uniform, that means you're worthy to be here. And as we all know, we're none of us are worthy in ourselves. It's because he chose us. He brought us in. Do you see where this is heading? Let me skip to the application already. How do you think of other Christians who differ with you on things, who approach certain things in life differently from the way you approach them, who have different views of things? If they're wearing the uniform... The Apostle Paul says, you esteem them highly because they are in Christ Jesus. Next verse. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. When Paul wrote those words, there were some pretty significant differences in the culture. Jew and Gentile is the first one. Jew and Greek is what he brought up. And you, you probably know this. When the Jews began to come to Christ, when they realized that Jesus was the promised Messiah, that was great. But then the gospel went out from Jerusalem 
to Judea and Samaria and towards the ends of the earth. And then we find toward the end of the first century, or mid part of the first century, there are multitudes of Greeks coming to faith. Gentiles. In the Jewish vernacular, dogs. And these dogs are becoming Christians and they're following the Messiah. And some of the Jews, not all of them, but some of them said, huh, we got to get them cleaned up. They're dirty. They're dogs. We got to make human beings out of them. We got to teach them to be Jews. And somebody like the Apostle Paul comes along and says, no, 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 that's not how it works. This was a big deal. Paul encountered it everywhere he went. He was persecuted by Jewish people. Because he was trying to tell Gentiles, you are just as acceptable to God as the Jews are. In fact, if you're a Gentile and you put on the uniform, you are now acceptable to God. And the Jews who aren't wearing the uniform are not acceptable. And the Jews hated him for it. They beat him up everywhere he went. And Paul had to go around church after church after church encouraging the Gentiles that once you've put on the uniform, you belong just as much as any Jew ever did. And saying to the Jews, you have to accept the Gentiles as teammates and they're not inferior because of their background. They're wearing the uniform. They've clothed themselves in Christ Jesus. Love them. Accept them. You're the same now. This was a hard, hard battle for many of the Jews who had been taught from the day, the day they were born. We Jews are separate and special to God and the pagans, they're cast off. But Christ brings a unity a oneness where now we're supposed to look at each other and say, if you're wearing the uniform, you're on the team. And I love you and I esteem you highly no matter where you come from, what your background is. Another distinction, slave nor free. Now that's not as pertinent in our culture and it's a different kind of slavery that we're familiar with in America than they were, were back then. But there were certain parallels. If you were a slave, if you were a servant class, you were lower class. The highest level was the free man. He was the Roman citizen. He had full access to everything, and he had never been a slave, could never be a slave. He was born free, and that was the highest, you know, the upper crust, as we might say. Then there were freed men who were servants, were slaves, but now had been released from that, and that was another level. And then there were the slaves who you were just born in that class, or you had to sell yourself into that class, and you really weren't worth much in the, in the world's eye. And Paul comes along and says, no, those distinctions are gone in Christ. It's true, some of you may still be servants, still may be slaves, and some of you are masters. And in other books of the Bible, he says, slaves, serve well. And masters, treat your servants well. He doesn't say it's sin to have a master-slave relationship, but he does say the way we esteem one another. The way we evaluate one another, the way we assign value is you're either wearing the uniform or you're not. That's it. And if they're wearing the uniform, even if they are of the servant class, we're all one in Christ Jesus. And then there was the male-female dynamic where women were denigrated society-wide. Women were useful to men but they were pretty much in the servant class, even the free women. So a man, a husband, would have two kinds of women in his life. He would have the one to whom he was married, and she served him well. 
and he was happy to have her. She was to be modest. She was to be dignified. She was to keep a good house. She was to, to rear the children well. She was to keep everything in order, and she had value to him because she served well. All the other women in his life were potential objects of pleasure. In both cases, they were useful to men. They served a purpose. Paul comes along and says, in Christ, that's not how we look at each other. In Christ, women put on the uniform, and they're one of us. Men put on the uniform, they're one of us. We don't assign value based on gender in Christ, because if you're on the team, you're on the team. Now, there are distinctions. There are distinctions between Jews and Gentiles, of course. There are distinctions between masters and slaves, of course. There are distinctions between men and women. And the Bible lays out very clearly that we have different roles in the home, in the church, and so forth. But that's different from saying one group is lower class, inferior to another because of gender, because of ethnicity, whatever. There's no room for that whatsoever in the church. Now let's think about our culture because we don't have the same distinctions as much. But what are some of the things that cause us maybe to make these differentiations among Christians where we forget to assign the proper value to others? Certainly, race has been part of our culture. It may not be as big a deal now, especially in our part of the country, but I understand, I, I haven't seen it firsthand, but I understand in, in the South, the color of your skin makes a huge difference on whether or not you're accepted and I, I, apparently there are still churches where if you're black, you can't come into this white church. That should be appalling to us as Christians. Appalling. It doesn't matter what color you are, red, yellow, black, and white. What's the next line? They are precious in his sight. That's true. If they put on the uniform, suddenly the color of their skin is irrelevant. Uh, it could be argued it should be relevant anyway, but certainly in the church. Somebody puts on the uniform, somebody comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, we should immediately say, I love you, I assign the value uh, to you as a son of God. I don't care what color your skin is. It is appalling that there are Christians, people who call themselves Christians, who would look down upon somebody because of the color of their skin. It's unchristian. Apparently it happens. God forbid that it ever happens at Fort Range Alliance Church. But what other differences are there? Is the Republican Party Jesus' party? We both know Christians who would say, yes? Is that a rhetorical question? Of course it is. Or maybe now it's the Tea Party. Have you known Christians? Have you been a Christian? It would say, eh, there might be a few Democrats to get in on a technicality because they believe the gospel somewhere along the line, but See, we can have differences. We can have political differences. And I'm not suggesting that all these differences are unimportant. That's not the point. The point is, how do we assign value? 
who do we choose to esteem? If they're wearing the uniform, it really doesn't matter what political party they adhere to. If they have put their faith in Christ, they're on our team. So if you are of a particular political persuasion and you think of someone who's in this political camp is wrong, then when you go try to persuade them, you go as a brother to a brother or sister saying, I love you. Can we talk about this? I think maybe there's some things that, uh, that you should see differently. And we should be willing to do that with each other. But it's an entirely different kind of conversation when you walk to somebody and say, I love you, I accept you, you're on the same team, but I think you could play the shortstop position a little better if you did this. I think maybe we should consider these things in our voting. That's a totally different attitude than, you don't really belong here because, yeah, 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 you're a Christian, but you're a Democrat. Or you're a Republican. You know, they showed us this past week that they don't always get it right. That's not what defines us. And yet there are Christians who pretty much, at least in, in the public eye, it seems that sometimes in the more private eye, it seems like way more important to them than Christian or not Christian is conservative or liberal. Can I just say something to you in love? If people who know you know your political stand, but they don't know you love Jesus, something needs to change. If the people who know you know you're passionate about something other than Christ, if that's not the first thing that comes to their mind, something probably needs to change. Because first and foremost, we're Christians. How about the way we school our children? We have three camps, homeschool, Christian school, government school. And I know there's some strong opinions in this room. I have strong opinions as well. Ask me, I will be happy to share my opinions. It does matter. There are significant issues. I don't think any of them are free of potential problems. But if your passion about one of those different means of schooling your children is greater than your passion for Jesus Christ, something is wrong. And if people who know you know where you stand on one of those issues, but they don't know you love Jesus, I think something is wrong. Something is upside down. I had a lady come to me several years ago after a, a, a service and she said, I'm so glad to find you guys. I heard you're a homeschool church. I said, who told you that? She couldn't remember. I wish she could remember because somebody would have gotten a phone call. I said to her, well, there are a lot of people here that homeschool. My family homeschools. We are not a homeschool church, ma'am. We are a church of Jesus Christ, period. Now, that spills out into how we school our kids, don't get me wrong, and there are important issues here. But I don't want our reputation in the community to be, we're a homeschool church. We're not. God help us if we ever become a homeschool church, or a Christian school church, or a government school church. We're the church of Jesus Christ. Period. We must not ever become anything other than that. 
babe, notice I'm wearing blue jeans. Some of you are loving it. Some of you are hating it. Some of you are like, oh, yeah, pants on. Really? I mean, check your heart. What percentage of the time that I've been trying to expound God's word have you been concerned with my pants? Church is split over this kind of thing. If your lunch conversation is primarily about my genes, one or both of us have failed. I'm wearing the uniform. I love Jesus. I was baptized when I was 12 years old, and I professed faith in Jesus Christ since then. You don't have to like me wearing jeans, but you have to esteem me as someone who's wearing the uniform because Paul says you do, because God the Holy Spirit says that you do. And my identity, my worth, the value you should assign to me has nothing to do with the clothes I wear. Up here, or at home, or anywhere else. Because I am clothed in Christ Jesus. And that's how you should evaluate me. And that's how I should evaluate you. There are other potential distinctions too, right? Oh, they wear nice clothes. They wear not so nice clothes. They're in the latest fashions. They haven't a clue about fashion. Whatever. None of those things matter. Because we're all wearing the same clothes. Jesus is our clothing. And when we get wrapped around the axle about these other things, we miss the point. I'm not saying they're completely unimportant. There's no doubt. I communicate something with what I wear. Some of you hate what I'm communicating right now. Some of you love it. Some of you are missing it. That's okay. I'm not saying it doesn't have some expressive content, but if we get so up in arms about these kinds of things, we're missing the point. Because if you put on Christ Jesus, we're all one. And so as we talk, as we disagree, as we share experiences, we do so as people who are wearing the uniform of Jesus Christ. That's what he's getting at when he says, have the same mind as one another. The same mind that I value you, I assign, I'm thinking of you as a Christian above all else. Your background, your color, your fashion, your experiences, whatever, none of that matters to me as much as the fact that you love Jesus and so do I. And then he also says, Do not be wise in your own estimation. This is what happens. This is, this is where uh, the reason why we start evaluating people based on things other than the uniform. 
because we think and we, we, we ponder and we have wisdom and, and we make decisions like how we're going to school our kids and, and what kind of clothes we're going to wear and if we're preaching, what kind of clothes we're going to wear when we preach and, and all this. We start making uh, those kind of decisions and we need to. We need to pursue those things and, and seek righteousness. But then what happens is we define uh, what a Christian looks like and it looks a whole lot like me. And I look at you and think, well, in some ways you look like me, but in this way you don't really look like me. Then I'm not too sure. Are you with me or not with me? And that's irrelevant. The question is, are you with Jesus or not? If you're with Jesus, then you're with me because I'm with him. Don't be wise in your own estimation. Do we have the picture ready to go? Pop it up here. Uh, can you make it any bigger, smaller, focused? Can you scroll around anything? We're kind of limited, aren't we? This is going to ruin my illustration. Can you blow it up at all? All right, did you find yourself? Did you look for yourself? All right, it worked. That's what we do, right? First thing, where am I? What do I look like? What am I wearing? Okay, we should have probably test-driven that before we <laughs> did it. Maybe it even better. You were trying to find yourself first thing, weren't you? That's what we do. Because we tend to evaluate everything based on ourselves. All right, you can, yeah, thanks. And suddenly we become the standard. We're wise in our own estimation. I got it right. I'm focused on me, and now I'm judging everybody else about me and that, uh, by me, and that's not the new covenant standard. Jesus is the new covenant standard. We're, we're supposed to be being conformed to his image, not somebody else's. It's about to get even weirder. So the next, the, the, the first part of the verse be of the same mind toward one another. Some of your translations, I think the ESV and the NIV both say, live in harmony with one another, right? Uh, the, the, the Greek actually says nothing whatsoever about any of that, but it's a fair interpretation of what Paul's getting at. So uh, in my last little bit of uh, making this an unusual, unusual service, Linda, please come up. Uh, some of you know Steve Forrester. God rest his soul. No, he's not dead. He's just, he's just gone. Great man. We love him around here. He wrote this song that some of you know, some of you don't know, because uh, we haven't sung it much since he's been gone. But it's called uh, Live My Life, I think. So here's what we're going to do. Wait, wait. Shh. You guys over here are going to sing the first part. I'm going to teach it to you, okay? This is like... like Little kid Sunday school. Do you have your puppet? Can I borrow your puppet? And, and this group over here is going to sing the second part, okay? So we're going to work on this part first. So can we get the verse up here? Uh, yeah, that. All right, everybody see it? If you know it, please sing out. Ready? Lord, I want... Wow, that's pretty good. Oh, he would be so proud. Okay, stop. Good. You guys know your part? 
Here we go. Every minute, every hour. You guys don't know this as well. Come on, sing. Every day I live, Jesus is the one I want. My life, my Lord. Okay, good enough, good enough. Now, you guessed it. We're going to sing both parts at the same time. Ready? You guys sing the Lord I Want to Live. You guys sing every minute. One, two, ready, and every live my life. You were way too good. Thank you. That was really, really good. You all want to clap or something now. I'm not sure why we're clapping, but... Okay, well, uh, let me, on the fly here, change my illustration. So, some of you, some of you didn't know the song. You're new around here, but it's simple enough. You kind of catch on, right? You were singing two completely different parts, different words, different melody. And yet, if you could have been here where I'm standing, it was beautiful. Wasn't it beautiful? It was beautiful. Now, it's not true harmony, right? I was a music major. I know what harmony is. Harmony is when you're singing similar things but different. You're making a chord out of it. We're not saying it wasn't true harmony, but it, it still captures the point. The point is we were all singing the same song. And the production, the result was gorgeous. It was a lovely sound. But you guys were singing different words than you were singing. And guess what? Some of the people over here were singing the wrong words or at the wrong time because you didn't know the melody. And so you could read the words, but you didn't know exactly when it was supposed to come in. Now, what is the proper response? See, I recruited you to my choir. By being here, you're on the team. You're in the choir. And I recruited you guys to sing one part. Now, what's the proper response if you heard somebody a couple, a couple rows over or a couple seats over that was coming in at the wrong time? Well, you should value them highly. And if they perpetuate the mistake, then maybe you should go over and say, hey, can I just sing it for you? Can we, can we go to the piano and maybe bang it out a little bit? Because you're coming in too early. You're coming in too late. Or you're like really, really, really flat. And so here's the note. Just go over and bang on the note. Here's the note. Oh, sing with me. Oh, you know, that kind of thing. And you guys, same thing. But what we're not supposed to do is go, they're saying the wrong words over there. Right? Why? Because we're pursuing the same end. We are trying to make a beautiful musical presentation. We're trying to sing the same song. We have different parts, different melodies, different words coming in at different times, but we're all, all in the same choir because we have the uniform. If I, uh, metaphorically speaking, you all had choir robes on because you were recruited to the choir. That's what Paul means when he says, live in harmony with one another. Think the same thing. You don't have to agree. You may prefer your verse versus their verse, or you may say, I wish I could sing that verse instead of my verse. 
It's okay to have preferences. It's okay to disagree. And you probably, if we did this very long, you'd be thinking, well, my verse is better than their verse, right? If you play shortstop, then shortstop is the best position on the baseball team. But Paul would say, think of those people who are singing different lines and have different voices as though we're all in this together. Yes, yeah, so-and-so may have a better voice than so-and-so. It doesn't matter. We're on the same team. We're trying to accomplish the same goal. Then he has the middle section where he says, do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Don't be haughty in our minds. Don't think that you are somehow above somebody else for any reason. But associate. The, uh, the Greek word that's translated here, associate, it's, I think one of the translations actually does it this way. It means to condescend. Now, we use the word condescending in a condescending manner, usually. But it means simply to stoop over. And, and one area that we think of we have to stoop over is a child, right? A little, little baby or an infant. We have to stoop over to pick them up. If they fall down, we have to stoop over. We have to bend down to help them up. We have to bend down to, to wipe their nose and their eyes if they're crying and they skin their knee. We have to stoop over to, to help them put a band-aid on and such. We do that because, well, they hurt themselves. And they are lower. They're down there. But what happens when we get in our mind this idea that they're inferior to me? I have to stoop over to people that are lower, that are, who are beneath me. One of the great comedies of the New Testament are when those brothers are arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine these two guys walking alongside Jesus, the creator of the universe? And they walk up to me, hey, Jesus, I've got a question for you. Which one of us is going to be greater in your kingdom? Now, that tells us a lot about the brothers, right? It also tells us something about Jesus. He obviously did not present himself as the creator of the universe. He did not walk around demanding worship. He commanded worship in a sense, of course. And he did command it in another sense. But what I mean is, he didn't uh, travel throughout Jerusalem, you know, on a litter carried by servants. He didn't wear a crown and jewels and have everybody doing his bidding. He was a man. Isaiah 53 prophesied he's not going to be that impressive on a human level. And yet, that's exactly how he condescended to us. He left the realm of heaven. He left the glory of his throne room and came down here as, human, uh, as a human being who needed his own nose wiped by his mother. And he lived among people as a people, not flexing his deity most of the time, but he had to sleep. He pulled away for rest. He got tired. He let them mock him and beat him and hang him on a cross. Now, if ever there were a disparity of people between the Lord of glory himself, the eternal Son of God, and sinful rebels, 
where some being is actually condescending and stooping down to others, it was Jesus with, with us. But he didn't treat us as though we were beneath him. When you come to Christ, when you came to Christ, did you come thinking, I I'm just beneath him? In one sense, of course, we're humbled. But you, he doesn't make us feel that way. He makes us feel valued. He makes us feel special. Like, I love you. I gave my life for you. I want you in my kingdom. I want you in my family. I want you to be the son of my father with me. He never comes along and says, you know who I am. I'm God. And you don't deserve me. And you're lowly. And you're pathetic. But I'm going to have mercy on little pathetic you. He had the right to do that, but that's not who he comes. He comes as a servant. An equally astounding story is when he washes the disciples' feet. We're lost, that, that's lost on us in our culture because we don't have servants who wash our feet. But for the disciples, it was overwhelming. No, 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 no you don't wash my feet. You're God. And Jesus says, yeah, I need to wash your feet. And then he tells them, you go wash other people's feet. And that's the model. There is nobody that we should regard lowly, nobody we should regard as beneath us, but if we do, then we treat them like Jesus treats us and raise them up, treat them as one of us. That's what Jesus has done for us. We're going to have all kinds of different disagreements on all kinds of things. I might wear jeans again. I might wear a tuxedo. We're going to school our kids differently. We're going to have different perspectives on a lot of things. We can't help but do that. That's what, that we're, we're varied. We're different. God made humanity. Is we, we have imaginations. We have different experiences, different, uh, different priorities, all kinds of differences, and that's fine. That's, that's sort of what makes us, uh, it's fun. I see I love change. I like things to be different. I know most of you hate change, but I love change. You should feel blessed that we don't have a different everything every Sunday. It's okay to have disagreements with people and have preferences. But what's not okay is to look at somebody else who's wearing the uniform of Jesus Christ and saying, I value you, blow me. You're not worthy, really. You're not welcome here. If you conform to my image, then you can come and be part of this. But if you don't conform to my image, nah, you're not, you're not welcome here. That is never okay. Because at the end of today, and the end of tomorrow, and the end of the next day, and the day after that, and the day after that, do you realize that you and I are going to be nothing better than rebels against the Most High God who deserve eternal wrath? And Jesus Christ said, I love you. I accept you. I purchased you on the cross. How is there room for any conceit any arrogance, 
any devaluing of other believers when our basis of acceptance is only because Jesus Christ chose to stoop to our level. It's got to be gone. And I don't know, I don't see us as a racist church. I don't see us as a sexist church. I pulled my, my kids, my wife last night, just trying to see what, what do you observe. And I, I think by and large, except for somebody preaching at jeans, by and large, we don't make a big deal of these, these, some of these things. But you know in your heart. So I would ask you, spend some time tonight, tomorrow, sometime soon, and just ask the Spirit of God to reveal in your own conscience where have I taken someone else who's wearing the uniform and lowered their esteem in my heart and see what he reveals. Can I pray for you and for me? Father, this is certainly something that has plagued the church since its inception. And I don't want to be naive to think that it doesn't occur in our body. I am thankful for a, a group of brothers and sisters here who, as far as I can tell, don't have major prejudices. Father, all of us, I certainly know I have had them in the past, have, have other prejudices. Father, make us a people who are like Jesus. Make us a people who understand that apart from Christ, we, we have nothing to boast in. And our boasting must not be in ourselves, our wisdom, our decisions, our lifestyle choices, whatever. Our, our boasting has to be in the gospel of Jesus Christ, period. Father, if there is repentance and conviction that needs to take place here, then you do that. Father, I don't convict you do by your spirit. Convict us where we need to be convicted. And encourage us to be a welcoming church. A church that says to anybody wearing the uniform, I esteem you as I esteem Christ. May it be so for Jesus' sake. Amen.